welcome to the third episode of Loving Angels Instead, the podcast for aspiring angel investors. My name is Mel, and today Jörg, Melanie, and I will discuss how to filter which startup ideas have potential and settle the first legal arrangements. Hello again. Hello. Hello. So last time we talked about the selection process. We yep. talked about the founder teams, what to look for, how they communicate. And now we want to talk about the idea. Mm -hmm. and we want to filter the actual idea mm -hmm. of the founding teams. Pitch decks, when you receive pitch deck from startups, have you ever gotten a pitch deck where you thought, I don't get the idea at all? Yes. Yeah. All the time, to be honest. Quite often. Really? Um, mm -hmm. And that can be good or bad. Mostly bad. Can it be good? Yeah, I was just uh, wondering. How can it be good? If it's so advanced, then sometimes you just don't, you haven't seen this before. And then that's very, very rarely the case. It can be a very good thing. I once invested luckily into a startup. I knew the founder, so I did the investment because I knew him. But the pitch deck he sent me, I didn't really understand because he was using a lot of technologies I had partly heard of to build like a trans translation engine. And mm -hmm. I thought this sounds interesting, but like there is a, there's a lot of competition. And I really wanted to understand what's the difference between what he's trying to do and what the others are doing. And then talking to him, I figured that he's using technology that no one knows exists that he had developed. That was and is quite unique. So it appeared to be true that he has like yep. advanced technology? Yeah, he, he had developed advanced neural networks that can do things that others can't do. So, and he's their, their technology is a lot quicker and better. But often if you don't really get it from a pitch deck or a conversation after, it's because the founders actually don't really know what they do. <laughs> That's, it's a bit of a bad sign. I mean, yeah. Sometimes you can help them, guiding them through questions and... They really know what they do. They're just really bad in expressing it, which is also something to work on. But often, it's really, if you don't get it, it's not because you're dumb or it's too advanced. It's often because they also haven't really figured it out yet. And then it's your decision if you're still confident enough to invest. Yeah, But or when you read a lot of buzzwords. Yeah. When it's like everything is... We are the Uber for this, the Airbnb yeah. for this. Or we <laughs> use blockchain technology AI. and artificial, <laughs> artificial intelligence, intelligence to Where's create augmented reality. By the way, by the way, by the way, um, artificial intelligence, so I heard that AI is oftentimes confused with... Machine learning. Machine learning. Yeah. What's the difference? Um, machine learning is like sets of algorithms that do things and AI is actual like neural networks that are self-learning. I also don't get AI. I get machine learning okay. AI is very hard for me to understand because there's like a lot of technologies that are super advanced that you cannot dig into over a weekend where you really know, need to know what you are doing. So Usually when we receive pitch decks of companies who say we do something in the AI field, usually what they do is they utilize machine learning technologies or mm. they utilize artificial intelligence platforms that are provided by other companies. You rarely meet startups that create their own artificial intelligences. Or they just have a really simple business and put in their five-year plan that at some point they use artificial intelligence to make it big and then... It's typical passwords. <laughs> yep. like, okay, yeah, it's not really necessary. Or blockchain, it's another one. <laughs> yeah, true. 
what happens more often that you have an idea that you think is already there or has already been done before or that you have an idea that sounds insane and that you've never heard before and that maybe you don't even understand the first scenario that you that you see ideas that that you have heard about or that um that already exist that exist in other markets or that exist in in other forms or where the like indirect competition is super strong or where there's even um there's even a lot of direct competition it depends a bit also on the country maybe the startups coming from so what i experienced being at pitch events in eastern europe like in poland for example you see a lot of pitches of ideas that you already know like it's okay it's an uber it's an airbnb or something different or something we have in germany already like a help thing or whatever and They, they pitches, they maybe even have some traction already in their country. Um, but it seems that maybe the market leaders from first US and Western Europe are not there yet. So for them, it's still an interesting model and they, they build it and they even have some first traction with it. So that's, that's interesting. The more in a way you go east, you see more models that you kind of know or that you've heard of. At least that's my experience. Yep. I don't want to generalize it too much. But, no, but it's a yeah. little bit like this. And when you then go further east... Then, it's, yeah. then it, it gets like super wild. When you go to China, they have like business models that and technologies they develop that are like super interesting and advanced. But there's a little language barrier between us and, and China. A little. A little. Mm -hmm. And culturally, maybe also. Yeah. yeah. yeah and legally and freedom-wise. and uh, How do you find out if you have, so you've received many pitch decks and maybe you even invited some of the startups. How do you find out which idea actually has potential for the future? I always look at it with a system and the, the system I, I think or we think in because it's not like me coming up with it. I think it's a result of all the learnings that we have over all the time we've been doing this. We look at the dream that the team has and their ability to translate the dream into a set of hypotheses. Then their ability to turn their hypotheses into a set of goals, into a set of strategic measures that they want to take into a plan and then into operations and then into results. And usually when we meet teams that are very early stage, they have not performed the full cycle. So they are somewhere in the translating a dream into a plan stage. And there we just talk with them about how did you make these assumptions? Why do you think this is the way it is? How are the conversion rates between different, different things you plan and Why do you think this is the way it is? So when it's pure hypothesis we discuss, we just check if we also think like they think or if they can convince us to think like they think. And then we, we have this thing called readiness dimensions where we look at what dimensions does a company need to be successful in in order to be on the venture path. These are all the dimensions that you have as a company, like you need to grow your your product, you need to find product market fit, which is, would be an opportunity to click your button, which means that you, you the product you create actually fits with the market that exists. So if you offer something, there need to be people who want it. And this is one dimension where you need to find product market fit. And usually when we meet the companies, they just have hypotheses. They just have an idea about a product. And then we ask them, how do you want to try out if someone wants that? This can be like super simple. And we ask them, how, how minimalistic can you try this? 
Like my favorite example is uh, Massagio. I don't know what their current name is. Well now. Well now. When we invested into Well now with Axel Springer Plug and Play, they wanted to create a platform where you can book a massage in your office or at home. Why haven't we used this yet? You can. can. You can. Go to Axel Springer next door and there you can use it. Ooh. Yeah, it's really cool. They wanted to build like a huge platform to manage the therapeuts and the the customers. And then we had a meeting and we had decided to invest already. And we had a meeting and said, okay, what's the minimal, most minimalistic product that you can build to find out if someone books a massage over the phone like they order a pizza? They were like, yeah, we need to build this platform. And, and I was like, I, I don't think so. I think you can do it a lot easier. And then in the end, after like an hour of intense discussion, how minimalistic can you actually be? They created a form And the, the thing that took the longest was deciding on the picture that was on the form. And the form had like very few fields. It, it had some information. It said like uh, company name, we deliver massages at home. You can order a massage here and you could fill out your name, your email, a telephone number, a zip code that starts with a one. So it It's in Berlin, a, a one zero, I think, was the zip code already pre-filled. And you could choose a time when you want the massage to be delivered. That was like, I think, 90 minutes from the moment in time you are now. And the price was, I don't, I don't remember, it was like 39 or 49 euros. That's quite cheap. You could just fill it out and click send. And, the, the, and then they would get a, an email on their cell phone that someone filled out the form. They used the cell phone in, in VC meetings where they put it on the table, didn't talk about it and constantly like, did like zzz, 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 zzz. <laughs> And then in one meeting, the, the angel was like, can you like this cell phone, can you turn it off? This is super annoying. And then they were like, no, we can't. Actually, these are all the bookings that are coming in. We need your money to build the back office system, the back end system to create a better system than the one we have. Because right now, one of us needs to leave the room because we need to call the, uh, the therapeuts and tell them <laughs> where they need to go. So that was super minimalistic, the product that they had built. But it helped them a lot to find out that there is a market for this and also to figure out who actually books massages over, over the phone and over the web to come to oh, their is home. Is there any interest at all? Because that's, yeah, yeah we started. Yeah, also a quest question. Before you spend a thousand of euros for a platform, find out if there's actually demand for it. What are other questions that you need to or you should ask every startup about their yeah, company? Yeah, like when they don't have numbers they created themselves, where do they get the numbers from that they work with? Like, mm -hmm. is it their fantasy or do they have sources? How good at are they at finding sources of numbers? Like, how many customers are there? How big can the business be? How much can this be a venture capital business? How do they plan their financing strategy? Like, how many financing rounds do they want to do? Do they need to do? And how will their cap table... I'll explain the cap table. <laughs> I was going to hit the button. I was going to hit the button. I, I saw you. The cap table is the table where all the shareholders of a company and their share in the company is written down. As a good founder, you obviously want to have control over who is in your cap table. What's their like voting power, their influence on, on the company. And interestingly enough, a lot of founders don't really think their cap table into the future. Something that Melanie and I work a lot with, with the founders we invest into And, and help them to figure out, okay, what shall our cap table look like two financing rounds into the future? Rarely startups think about this, which is weird. 
Because maybe just to add on this, at the beginning or all, when you're a founder generally, your equity, like the amount of shares you have in a company is your biggest asset, basically. And at the beginning, often founders think, oh, I just give away a couple of shares, like 5%, and that's fine. But it's actually, it's the most expensive you can do to, to do it. So you should really make sure you get good value. And that's what you what we kind of discussed when we have this cap table, because then we we look into the future, who has how many shares, or how many shares at some point, and really, most importantly, how much equity, like how many shares do the founders have in the end? And is it for them still worth doing all of this? Because if they don't get a lot or they don't hold a lot of the company at the end, when they sell the company, maybe it's not worth for them doing it because it's a long journey and a big effort. So they should already have a plan on what their cap table is going to look like in five years' time. Or what they kind are of aspiring an to, idea. To an idea, like, yeah. yeah they, they, you can't really plan that. So if I would see a business plan that goes five years into the future, I'd be like confused and would want to understand why. Why do you think you can like show a business plan that goes five years into the future? Also important. This depends on the kind of business. If you build like a car manufacturing facility, then I think you should be able to have like a five-year business plan that is exactly clear on what is going to happen in five years. Or if you build like a power plant, these things, you know exactly what's going on and there might be some change in the price of, of power that you deliver into the grid. But if you create like a digital business, an internet business, usually there's a lot of unclarity. And what we as an investor try to find out is, How do we deal with this uncertainty of things turning into a reality? And how much uncertainty are we able to, to live with? Okay, I think we covered all the questions. Or can you think of more questions that you need to ask before you decide? I think we tapped a bit on like the whole market, uh, market potential question. This is important to, at least for us, investing as a venture capital-oriented company, so meaning a, a company has a I would like to No, I would like to have to find what venture capital really is. I mean, venture capital is money from often like institutional investors, meaning investors who do this for a, a business and don't do it with their own money. They get money from, in our case, Porsche and Axel Springer gave us some money. In other cases, it's a different um, companies um, or funds or whoever invests in an investor and this money they invest into startups into digital companies with the expectation to get a really high return like invest and then get two three four times of the money back but with also a really high risk because as we all know a lot of companies fail one out of ten makes it and one out of a hundred maybe will be really really big of investments so it's a kind of an investment you can also invest into real estate or into like stocks on like stock exchange but venture capital is really connected with a lot of risk and that's why the the potential upside has to be huge because only One of 10, 100, depending on your expectations, companies really make it. So every investment you make must have at least the potential to be super big. And that's why they need this big, big market, this market potential at least at the beginning. Yeah, and it sounds sounds weird. And also I think what also makes venture capital is it's usually it's exit-oriented. So the, the people who invest, they want to get the money back when they sell their shares. That's the, so that's the exit. That's the exit. That's the exit. You sell your shares I saw the finger. either through selling the whole company or through doing an initial public offering, which means to take the company public at a stock exchange, which is not happening that often. It's not an early stage, right? It's no, that's later stage. But yeah, yeah. when you invest early stage, 
and you are on the venture capital path, those are the, the outcomes that you aim for. One is an IPO, this initial public offering, or an exit through selling your shares to someone who pays you a very high price for them. Another thing is looking at the idea is classic business administration knowledge. Taking the inside-out view, like looking at, okay, what can the company do and what will they do? How will they do it? How will they be structured, organized? How will the like all the functions of the company work? How is their cost structure? Everything that is related to the company. And, and then you can have like the outside view and look at what is the environment of the company that they want to build. Who are like the direct competitors, the indirect competitors, the potential partners, the customers, the clients, how does sales work and all these things you need to analyze and you need to like come up with your own idea and you also need to to find to ask the founders so what's your idea how do you position yourself in the world out there and and who do you want to partner with who do you want to sell your products to this is a lot of work that's why it's also important we always try to figure out what is the right order of questions to ask for example we always look at the team first because if we have any doubts about the team we don't even look into the business model because looking into the business model is a lot of things you need to do you need to like do your own homework and reconstruct the thing they want to do and then look at okay this is how we think about it how do they think about it and then see is there a match is there are there any questions that we have that they can't answer and usually that's when you are an angel investor you will always find these things where you have questions they don't have answers for and usually you might have answers for them and that's when it becomes like an interesting conversation between an angel and and the startup because then they say ah you know about this this is so interesting can you be one of our shareholders and help us to understand this or you know all these people we need to sell to Would you be one of our investors and in exchange for some money, let us use your network to to like get in contact with these people? That usually is how, how angel investments work. Maybe the startups don't have all the answers and that's actually totally fine. I mean, there's some basic answers you should have. You should know what you actually want to do. But it's really what I think we were looking for is also how does a company react to our question? How do they think about it? Maybe they don't have the perfect answer. Maybe they need help from an angel, but... It's really more how they approach it. Is it just like, oh, I don't know. Um, it doesn't really matter. Care. I don't care. <laughs> and it's like, oh, tricky. Um, but if they really, like, oh, we thought about it. We're not sure yet. We Maybe oh, we, that's why we need help. Maybe or maybe they really didn't think about it. That's fine. But then say, oh, let's take a note. I really approach it. It's really a lot about attitude also. Yeah. So especially as a founder, you don't need to have all the answers right now. Also as an angel, you should not expect all the answers because the company is early. It's a lot about personality, attitude, passion, all these things. Yeah, and sometimes, like because insecurity or not knowing is really important in dealing with it, sometimes good founders will tell you, we don't know and it doesn't matter because it only matters that we find it out at that stage that is like 12 months into the future and then we will see. And then you either like agree with them that this is a good way to look at it or you disagree And then you discuss and either together you come to a new conclusion or they say, no, we disagree and you disagree and then say, then better, we shouldn't work together because I think this is not working out. And they're like, yeah, we think it will. And then that's fine. We should start getting into the legal stuff. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That yeah is, I'm quite that excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. Typical nerd here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You decided that a company that you want to invest. And what are the first legal grounds that you need to cover now? As an angel? Or? 
as the angel, yeah, mm-hmm. with us with the startup. What is really connected is in a way the deal in and um in legal terms. So deal is always how much money do I give and how many shares, what a percentage of the company do I get? This would be after discussing everything and after knowing how much money the company needs. I think that's actually the first thing you should discuss because sometimes companies for, forget um, to really show how much money they actually need and why. That's what we teach them. Really have a business model and the amount of money you want to raise should come out of the business model. You should not just be like, oh, I need a million, but then have no answers what to do with it. Um, so this would be, I guess, the first conversation with an angel investor. How much money do they need? How much money can the angel provide and then discuss terms in a way of what does the angel want in return and how many what valuation so valuation means um yeah what is the value of the company at the stage the angel in wants invest and how do you set the value of the company this is really hard at the beginning because or super easy or super easy to, yeah <laughs> it's, it's true so if you come from a more financial background maybe you may be used to have a financial model and you put in like discounted cash flow you don't know it to be but because you don't know to need to know this now it's like really complex uh, models and then a number comes out of it you don't have all this at the beginning you have no revenues often you have no profit so it's as Jörg said it can be really easy um, just yeah, why you can just, say, you just say is the company is now valued at for example in our case when we invest we just say each company we invest into with our pre-seed deal is valued at 1 million euros and we intend to buy 5% of the company hence we give them 50,000 and do we as the investors set how much the company is worth in our case yes mm. and, that's and if usually they don't the agree case. If they, if they say we are worth less, we would say, ah, we'll pay the valuation anyway. If they say we are worth more, we will tell them then you might need another investor. Okay, I thought there was like maybe a certain systematic. Yeah, that that's the system. <laughs> Our systematic is, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> I th- yeah, I thought a universal systematic that each company an independent institute maybe that the, the independent checks. company valuation institute yes yeah, something like that <laughs> that, that, yeah. that checks okay each company is worth this and that much no. and unfortunately no wouldn't that make sense no no why because setting the value of a company is either in the in the early stage very complicated because you have to like value dreams and you have to sell dreams actually what you do when you when you get investors, is you sell them a future version of your company. So you tell them, that, look, this is what I'm going to do. And this is, you can buy the future company now. I'll sell you 5% of the shares of the future company for this price now. And then you as an investor have to balance your f- your feeling for risk and, chan- and, and reward. And you have to feel comfortable with buying the future company at that price. And you have to see like a likelihood that they will turn what it what exists now with the money you give to them into the future version of the company that they will then get another financing round and get to the next level. And if they knew how everything worked as a founder, if, if you as a founder knows know exactly what you want to do and how it works, then you don't, usually you wouldn't need any venture capital because you could just go to a bank and tell them, look, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to work. There's no risk involved. Give me 10 million euros and I'll um, I'll pay you back 10 million euros plus like 3% interest. And it's a sure shot. There's no risk involved and anyone would do it right now. 
Unfortunately, most founders are not able to tell them there's no risk involved. There's always a lot of risk involved. So they need to sell something that is way more um, expensive than uh, interest rate on a loan. They need to sell actual shares of their company. We set the valuation and now next step. So yeah, you set uh, the valuation. It's agreed how much money you give. Then it depends a bit how much also the angel wants to invest into the company. If it's not a major round, like if it's up to 100k, maybe we often advise to them to do this with a convertible loan. Yes. You. <laughs> so you have basically two major different forms to invest into the company. One is to actually buy shares of a company to pay a price and then you get a certain amount of shares and you're in the Handelsregister, so in the, in the, in the official book in Germany where it's written that you own these shares. And it is, this is really good because you also have certain rights connected to them. But the downside of it is, is you have to go to a notary to do this. This costs a couple of thousand euros. You have to formulate complex contracts to do it. So it, there's a lot of legal work involved that might be in the end, especially considering the cost and the time this takes, does not really balance out with the amount you invest. And with a convertible loan, it's much easier. You can can just contract, get just contract templates like for us or for example, the Business Angel Network Germany, they also have a contract you can just download and um, use them in standardized terms. It takes you, maybe if you really read it, two hours or something to read it, discuss it and then just sign it. And this will mean then that you can get some shares in the company, it's already agreed, but you don't get it yet, you get it later on when another financing round happens, when more money comes into the company and in a way it's actually worth to go to the notary to do the contracts to do all of this. Um, and that's why it makes sense to use these convertible notes also because you can sign one today with me and then two weeks later you sign one with Jörg and then with someone else and you can kind of start collecting money from different people within a certain t period of time. Don't have to wait to get everyone together to go to this one notary appointment at the same time. That's a bit of the difference between these two. And really in a nutshell, I mean, there's much yeah. more about it. Like a very practical thing. That, that I always find important from both a startup's or and an investor's point of view is to agree on the basic terms of the deal quite early in the process and then do this in writing. Like send an email to each other where you say, I am ready to purchase X percent of your company for valuation of this. We need to agree on the terms and we both think that this will take six weeks. This this would be like the perfect process. And then the startup replies, yes, we have the same understanding. Now we will start with writing the term sheet. We expect your version of the term sheet. <laughs> I'll explain what the term sheet is. Yes, please. Um, we'll expect your version of the term sheet now. The, the terms of the contract are all the clauses that you want to have in the contract that protect the rights of the investors and protect the rights of the founders and that regulate how the investment is happening and what is to be done and who need, who is allowed to make which decisions and who needs to ask whom for what when and those are <laughs> <laughs> those are the terms and we'll we'll go in through the terms because they are like some quite advanced terms to like protect each other from each other um, and also to to enable a, a good working governance. Governance is how the shareholders and, and the founders work work with each other. 
And sending this email to each other can be so helpful for everyone. And we keep on pushing all our companies to do this. But it's it seems to be quite a hard thing to to like commit. And sometimes it's it's also important to just send this email and say, Hey, we offered we make this offer to you as we discussed in our meeting. You can buy or you can invest this much money as a convertible note with these terms from the term sheet. And this offer stands for 10 days. Just reply with a yes, I want to accept the terms. And then we recommend that you get this email. And when you have it, then you have the time to to create the actual contact contracts and execute the deal. But is there, once this email is sent, yes, I want, I accept this deal. Is that already a contract, even if it's just email? I, I don't think you can sue anyone. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever yeah. sue someone on that email. I would just, if someone sends an email to me and says, I want to do this, and if they if they then don't do it, if someone ever calls me and talks <laughs> to me, it's like, do they stick to their word? Blacklist. I would say, no, they don't. They don't stick to their word, and um, good luck doing business with them. And usually, like, when you do this as an investor, this makes the round. When you do this as a startup, this makes... Yeah. makes the round and, and everyone will be like, you can negotiate anything what you want with them. They d they won't stick to it anyways. So then it's really hard for for, for anyone to, to close a deal ever again. Actually, we wanted to talk about company forms. What different forms of companies there are. So a GmbH in German. Mm -hmm. What's the pros and cons of which form? Basically, you have really basically two ways of founding a company. One is in a way, as an individual, like a Personengesellschaft. But this means that you are personally liable for whatever happens. So if there is anything, an insolvency of your company, like a company goes bankrupt and there's still claims against the company, you are personally liable with all your all your assets and everything you own. So no one would really do this. So what you would actually always do is found a company in German, it's called Kapitalgesellschaft. So it's one of the forms and it can be a, GmbH, GmbH or UG, UG. And normally founders start in a way with the UG. It is basically the same as a GmbH, it's just smaller. And what you do there, you pay in a certain amount of, of capital. You can do it with one euro, you can do it with 500 euros. So each founder so or each shareholder, whoever has part of the company, pays in, let's say, 50 euros, 50 euros. So you have 100 euros, so-called share capital, and everyone owns basically half of it. And then you can start. And when a company goes bankrupt, you're actually in a way fine. Your company, all the assets of the company, if there are any, will be used to pay any debts and then that's it. So you, you're not personally liable and that's something everyone should do. And you do normally the GmbH later because there you have to pay in um, 25,000 euros normally and not every founder has this kind of money at the beginning. But eventually if you're doing serious business or you have bigger investors like venture capital funds, like bigger investors they will ask you to pay in more of the company uh, of this share capital just because then it's a bit more serious there's a bit more security also for your business partners but this is the basic in germany that's one or the other that's the forms you use i don't really and then there, yeah there are other like international company forms there's the societe européenne that's like a share-based company on a european level or Aktiengesellschaft in Germany, those are share-based companies in Germany. And then there's the US companies that you can can start. And, and we... Okay, limited if you yeah, dare to. <laughs> if you dare to do 
<laughs> UK limited, then you can still do that. Yeah. And then there's all the limited risk taking. The limited companies all over Europe. Um yeah. and then usually depends on also like where you are where you're talking to investors if they have any knowledge in investing into these kinds of companies so for us as like an investor from from germany we are very familiar with investing into german companies we are kind of like familiar with investing into u.s companies because quite a lot of international companies plan to go to the u.s and then have u.s companies and we also some We can do UK companies. Hopefully, will not turn ir irrelevant soon. We we always look into when companies from other countries apply or want to work with us. We always look at okay, is it worth doing the effort to understand how to invest into a company from this country? Because this is cost that goes on top of the actual investment. And when you do angel investments, like when you are a, an individual. In thinking about should I invest into this company, you might look at an angel investment of like 25,000 euros into a company in, in a remote country and the actual deal will cost you 20,000 euros on top. So then it just doesn't make sense because you, you invest so much into the contracts that you just shouldn't do the deal because it doesn't make any sense for you. Okay, let's add one last thing that you need to think of um, setting the first legal terms. Read them. Like read yeah. all the contracts, and uh, like I said before, when you look at the when you do the due diligence of a company, you should read everything that has been signed already. Um, it's also worthwhile reading all the things that is about to be signed. One thing we learned is that sometimes our co-investors they don't read the contracts, which is super weird. But I also understand like that, for example, when I get like ten contracts to sign on a day or five, I can't read them all. So I would be reading the whole day for two days, but then there's someone who has read them. People like Melanie. Just as a last word, it should always be fair, I feel like, because we did we did see contracts before or we did talk to angels where angels really tried to get a lot of security at the beginning or a lot of, we can talk about these terms in another way, but there are a lot of terms that can be really positive for an investor or for an On founder, so you, you, then depending on how you you use the term, it can be beneficial for either side. And in our experience, it just really makes sense if it's in a way equal. There will be some terms protecting an investor a bit more, some a bit more beneficial for the founder. And you should always aim for a good balance because otherwise, you're not as an angel the last investor. There are no investors coming in. The company needs to be still able to get more investors in. So this is like really maintaining this equality in a way. I think this is really important. Thank you guys very much again for joining. And thank you very much for listening to all of our listeners. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>